Good morning. Hello, Favourite Church. Hello, everyone online. Give yourselves a big round of applause. So great to have you in the house today. Fantastic. You may grab a seat. I love your church so much. I was saying to Pastor Kate, there is something so special about being in the room and worshipping God together. And there is such an anointing on the worship here. Every time Sharon and I come, it's only been twice, but every service that we've come to when the team have led us into worship, our hearts just break open again. There's a fresh deposit of faith. And I just want you to know that you are very blessed to be a part of this amazing church family. And that's because you have wonderful leaders and pastors. Can you honour all your pastors and leaders, especially Pastor James and Pastor Kate? Come on, give them a big round of applause. Let them know how much you love them. We appreciate you. Thank you for your friendship and to all the team. We are so, so grateful. We had so much fun yesterday at Marriage Summit, Marriage Conference, Marriage Conference. I tell you what, a little bit too much fun. And uh, everyone's walking in today like, hello, Pastor, hello, Pastor, holding on to the hands of their spouse and snuggling and cuddling. I think our job here is done. Uh, It's so lovely to see marriages strengthened and it's so great that this church prioritises family and relationships because it is so, so important. That's the Kingdom of God coming to the earth. It starts first in our hearts and then it flows out to our marriages, our children and then to our city and to our nation. Amen. And so I'm so grateful that you took that time to invest. I bring you greetings from my three good looking sons in Perth, Western Australia. They're going to be praying for us. I know because they do that. They're 19, 17, 15, Levi, Noah, Micah. And you know, I'm Indian, so we get them married really early. Uh, If you have a beautiful wife, you know, a beautiful daughter, you want to become my family, uh, you can come, you can talk to me, you can send your your photo uh, and I will make sure we we, we make some sort of deal. Uh, A little bit of dowry, you know, five cows, two horses. Don't worry, I will make it all happen. And so I'll make I'll I'll make it all happen. <laughs> uh, my boys are great. They're good lookers. They get their looks from their mum, and uh, they're back in Perth. But they wanted to say hello. But we're going to get straight into the Word of God. Let's thank all the volunteers that are serving us. You are doing such a wonderful job. Today, I want to share on a topic that God's been placing on my heart, uh, not for a preaching sake but actually because I believe God wants to do something fresh in my heart in this area. I actually want to speak about lust. And if you're taking notes today, my sermon is called Finding Freedom from Lust. And before I start, I want to make it really, really clear that I'm not speaking from a a place of... uh, where I have conquered and I have mastered and I have overcome and now you need to become like me. But I feel like uh, highly unqualified to speak in this area because like every single person in this room, I struggle 
like you. We all fall. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all need the mercy of God. And we all need what the Word of God says to teach us how to overcome. Especially in this area, I believe the church needs to be equipped with the Word of God because God is wanting believers to live in victory. He wants to give us the skills to overcome. And sometimes we feel like we can't teach about it because we haven't got complete victory. But I think the grace of God is in the struggle and in the wrestle. And there's this desire for God. I want to live the life that you've called me to that draws the grace, that humility draws the grace of God to bring the victory that you and I are after. So I pray today that as we get into God's Word, as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, I pray today that people will start a journey of finding freedom from lust. The world says lust is normal. It's acceptable. But God says if you don't deal with it, it'll actually destroy your life. And so we need to learn the keys of how to overcome. And so I want to share with you on that. This is what lust is. For those of you who are maybe new to the church, lust is a desire, a craving, a longing for something that is forbidden. It's a longing, a craving, a desire for something that is forbidden. And when you willingly Give into, and that's what you've got to do. When it comes to lust, it doesn't just break out over you. You've got to be willing to give into it. When you willingly give into lust, you are choosing to meet a desire with a way that is contrary to God's will for your life. You're wanting to meet a desire in a pattern, in a way, in a method that is contrary to God's plan for your life. And the Bible doesn't limit the word lust to just sexual desire. So maybe you think it's all about sex, he's talking about sex. Well, no, it actually can have a lust for a whole heap of different things. You can have a lust for money, that's called greed, and that's not having lots of money. You can be poor and have a lust for money. Right? You can have a lust for food. Oh, gluttony, laksa, nasi lemak, roti canai. I'm, I'm Malaysian. For those of you who don't know those dishes, chicken adobo. Uh, for my wife, meat and veg. Uh, she's, she's a whitey. Uh, and so, you know, maybe the lust is for food and it's not so much for sexual desire. Maybe it's a lust for security. It's a lust for material things, a lust for influence, a lust for status, a lust for fame. You know, we see all this going on in our world and all of it, if we don't learn how to overcome and deal with it, can actually destroy our life. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, You shall not covet. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or his donkey or anything that does not belong, uh, that belongs, sorry, to your neighbor. If it doesn't belong to you, you're not to desire after it. You're not to crave after it. Why? Because God has got what He wants to give you. He is your provider. He's got stuff for you. And you're not supposed to take your eyes off what God has given you and place them on some other area or what someone else has. 
So we see in this scripture that lust is not limited to sexual desire, but you can actually lust after other things. And he's saying all lust is destructive and we need to learn how to deal with it. Lust uses others to gratify your needs. And you can see how that is so contrary to the Spirit of God. Because God is a God of love, not lust. They originate from different places, lust and love. Love sacrifices oneself for someone else's need. But lust uses someone else to gratify their own need. And here's the third thing you need to quickly know about lust. It's unquenchable. You can't satisfy lust. The more you scratch, the itchier you get. Right? But love brings fulfilment. Love brings peace. Love brings joy. And that's why God says, come on, I want believers to deal with lust. I want you to find freedom from lust. And today we're going to look at how. Is that okay? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, uh, it it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here's the bit I want you to see. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable. Desire. Remember what lust is? It's a desire. It's a craving. This is the first time the woman started to desire something that was not from God. It was... It wasn't part of God's plan for her fulfillment. When the woman saw that it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. All right, this passage has got so much wisdom. And from here, we're going to actually look at a pathway to actually finding freedom from lust. When Eve starts the journey, she's over here. I want to serve God. I want to worship God. I want to obey God. I don't want anything that's not from God. And at the end of this story, she's over here. Not only is she touching and she's tasting and she's eating, but now she's sharing it with her husband. She's moved from here to here. There is a process. There is a pathway that goes from here to here. Lust starts at one point, but takes you to another point. And if we can work out the process, we can learn where to stop. You don't have to be one that constantly gives in. You don't have to be one that's constantly under the power of it. God has created a way for every disciple to be free, to find freedom. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. There is victory in you. There's resurrection in you. There is freedom in you. But it's not from you. It's from Him being in you. 
And we need to find out the path. And so I want you to, if you are taking notes, just to write down these five steps in the path. Are you ready? Number one, this is how lust works. Number one, the introduced thought. The introduced thought. Number two, the entertained thought. Number three, the meditated thought. Number four, the justified thought. And number five, the thought acted upon. It wasn't temptation given, but there's actually a process. If we were to slow things down and even analyse the lustful things that we struggle with, we will realise that there's actually a process. It doesn't just happen and we give in. If you keep giving into lust, it happens faster and faster. Sharon spoke at the marriage conference about neural pathways that start to develop when you keep doing something again and again. What took some time with Eve at first to have this long discussion and debate and slowly she slid from one side to the other. If you give it in, to, if you give into it once, and then you give it in twice, and you give in three times, it starts going faster and faster from here to here, from here to here. It starts moving faster and faster. And before you know it, every time you're tempted, you've completely given in. But there is a process. And here's the process. Number one, the introduced thought. I just want you to know that Eve was minding her own business, right? And the snake begins, begins to start to introduce, brings in this thought about, you know what, contemplating just for a moment, Eve. Why don't you think just for a moment about something that God has told you not to think about? not to taste, not to touch. Why don't you start focusing on that? She did not even contemplate disobeying God, but the enemy comes in and his first step is always to introduce an ungodly thought. This thought did not originate from her. And it's really important for us to understand because sometimes we believe that every introduced thought came from us. Have you ever been disgusted by your own thoughts? Am I the only one? Have you ever had such a lustful thought or an angry thought or a jealous thought about somebody and then you've thought about your thought and gotten disgusted by it? Can I tell you, if that thought originated from you, you wouldn't have the ability to be disgusted by it. The fact that you are disgusted by your own thought tells you that it is an introduced thought. It is not you. And the first part of this whole process is to realise that Eve didn't even think about, I want to eat that fruit. No, she wasn't interested. But then introduced thought comes in and goes, you should, you, you must. Look at it. It looks amazing. I reckon the fruit in the garden was a durian. I reckon people have apples. You know in the paintings they put apples? No, I think it must be a durian because when you rip it open, it smells like hell. But it tastes like heaven. It looks intriguing. I reckon it's a durian. An introduced thought. 
And you can imagine Eve going, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm even thinking about not just touching the fruit, actually eating the fruit. The introduced thought comes from the enemy and it disguises itself as one of your own thoughts. And it has a goal. The introduced thought has a goal. In fact, he's got three goals. It's meant to isolate you from God. It's meant to isolate you from other people. And it's meant to change the way you see yourself. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I'm a child of God and now I'm thinking of disobeying God and partaking of that fruit. What is wrong with me? If anyone else knew that I was struggling with such disgusting thoughts and such disgusting desires, they would kick me out of favour family. I'm sure they would. If I was to share this with anybody, I would lose my leadership. If I was to share this with anybody, they would say, you are so disgusting, you need to be out of the family. I can't believe it. I I have to keep this to myself. And it starts to change your identity. You look at yourself, instead of looking at yourself as a child of God, as a man or a woman full of the Spirit of God, as a victorious, strong, courageous, godly person, you start looking at yourself as, a, as, a, as an adulterer. Because there's a desire to maybe start something outside of your marriage. Maybe you might start seeing yourself differently because of same-sex attraction and desire. You start going, I am a homosexual. I, I get so angry, I want to punch him. I am an abuser. No, those are introduced thoughts. They're not your identity. Your identity is not defined by your desires. Your identity is not defined by introduced thoughts. Your identity is defined by the Creator who made you while you were in your mother's womb, while He knitted you together and He calls you holy and He calls you loved and He calls you accepted and He calls you redeemed. He calls you his son and his daughter. He's the one that gets to tell you who you are, not your desires. I've counseled so many people that go, Pastor Joel, I'm a homosexual. I said, you are? Tell me about this. Because I've got desire for same sex, people of the same sex. And I said, listen, that's just a desire. You're tempted by it. I'll go one step further. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Jesus wasn't a murderer, but he was tempted. Jesus wasn't a homosexual, but he was tempted. Jesus wasn't a transgender person, but he was tempted. Every perverted, deviant thing that you may have been tempted with, that you may have introduced thoughts in, you need to know that your Saviour also had them first and He was able to go through it and be holy and overcome and be victorious so that when you are weak, He is strong. And when you are struggling, He is 
is victorious. Don't let your introduced thoughts define your identity. You are a child of God. If you are a man in a man's body and you don't feel like it, prophesy to yourself, declare the Word of God. I am a godly man. I'm going to live as a godly man that brings glory to God. My identity is defined by my Creator and not by my desire. It's such an important message for this season and this time. It's such an important message for members of your family. It's such an important message for the next generation in this nation. Your temptations and your desires are introduced and they do not define you. There's only one that gets to speak into your life and tell you who you are, whose you are, and how valuable you are. And His name is Jesus. Come on, if you agree, say Amen. Come on, if you agree, say Amen. Come on, say Amen. Say Amen over your life. Come on, agree with what heaven speaks over you. Come on, over your life right now, declare what the promises of God is over you. You are not what the introduced thought says you are. What you do with the introduced thought, however, will determine your identity and your future. I wish, I wish Eve just, I don't know, took a stick and smacked the snot out of the snake, made some snake curry for lunch, got a new snake belt. I don't know. But instead, instead of dealing with it like most Indians would have, She does not cut him off and she entertains this new visitor into her life. And we move from from an introduced thought to an entertained thought. Eve stays and has a chat. She deliberately starts to engage when she was supposed to have left him, when she was supposed to have dropped and run. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, this is how you and I are supposed to deal with that introduced thought. When the introduced thought comes in, the Bible says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Don't stay and chat and have a conversation and be intrigued and entertain this new thought. But that's what Eve did. We have to realise at that point, we need to do a Joseph Do you know what Joseph did when beautiful Potiphar's wife was doing all that she could, day and night asking him, Joseph, come la Joseph. That's my best Filipino accent, I'm sorry. It's a little bit Malaysian, eh? Come la Joseph, eh, come la. All right, that's not very sexy or attractive, is it? You know, she's throwing herself at him. Finally, when no one's in the house, she grabs him. What does he do? Entertain the advances? Entertain the flirting? No, he drops his very coat and runs. He sheds his skin. He would rather be half naked out the door than be fully clothed inside the house. 
I don't care if I'm humiliated. I don't care if I'm embarrassed. I am running away from this place because I'm not going to be drawn into the path that leads to lust because I'm not going to sin, not only against myself, but also against my God. It's only the arrogant that stay and play. It's only the arrogant that stay and play. You know why? Because they think they're stronger than the temptation. Oh, pastor, I know I shouldn't be watching those sort of movies. I'd make sure my kids don't watch them. Yes, but why do you? Oh, I'm more mature as a Christian. I can understand, I, I, I understand that it's just a movie. Do you know what you're opening doors over your life? And your arrogance will actually lead you to a downfall. It's the arrogant that asks questions like, how close to the edge can I get without falling over? You know, sometimes um, young couples, they start going out and they say, Pastor Joel, can we come and see you? We want you to be our accountability. So I say, okay, come and see us. And uh, they go, so I just want to know, um, when it comes to like physical stuff, how far is too far? I said, what a ridiculous question to ask. Are you telling me you want to find out how much of lust you can give into before you totally destroy your life? You want to see how close to the edge you can go? How about you start building a wall there and move right back and change your whole mindset so that you don't enter this process that will lead you to destruction. Drop it and run. That's the way it's supposed to be rather than entertain the thought. But if you keep entertaining the thought, you move to the meditated thought. What's the meditated thought? Well, this is what Eve did. The Bible records that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. So she's talking to the snake. She's dealing with temptation. She's talking to the snake. But for the first time, she now opens the door to look, meditate, research, analyze the fruit. Oh, smells good. Can't be durian. It looks good. It's actually quite easy to pick. It's really low, right? This is when people start to surround themselves with people that actually live the ungodly lifestyle. They research the lifestyle. They start hanging out the lifestyle. They start to get influences in their life that say, hey, you deserve this. You should eat the fruit. You should. This is your moment. This is your time. Come on, a little bit of flirting is not going to affect anything. Everybody is doing. They surround themselves with advisors that analyse and talk about and focus on. And every time you want to go back to God and pursue righteousness, they turn your head back to the fruit. Now you're starting to look at it. You're starting to touch it. You're starting to smell it. Oh, that would be so good. And you're starting to dream about it. You start to meditate on that lifestyle. And you tell yourself, you know what? As long as I'm not doing it, it's okay. Right? I can think about it. Who's going to know? Well, the Bible says that the Lord knows the intent of every single heart. Time and time, Jesus would call the Pharisees out and say, you say in your heart... 
Without even them saying in their mouth, he would call out what was in their heart. If you're starting to think about a lifestyle that's outside, a lustful lifestyle that's outside God's plan and God's purpose for your life, you are halfway down the process of giving in to your lust. Don't entertain it. And if you keep entertaining it, then you move to the next step, which is the justified thought. The justified thought. Eve went from no way, not ever, I will not even touch it, to actually, it's not that bad. It's a fruit. How bad can fruit be? Mum's always told me eat more fruits and vegetables. Right? How bad can it be? How can one little fruit hurt you? And by the way, God is loving. God is kind. God will surely forgive, right? That is you justifying sin. And if you're going to that step, step four, and you start applying just and justifying your thoughts toward it, you're one step away from absolutely giving in to this whole process, which is the fifth step, the thought acted upon. We see this whole process in David and Bathsheba. King David saw Bathsheba when he was one day maybe praying on the rooftop, maybe just looking out, thanking God for his wonderful kingdom. And he sees a gorgeous woman showering. Oh my goodness. First thing he does, I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm a man of God. I love the Lord with all my heart. I'm going downstairs and I am going to eat some lux. I don't know what he went and did. He just changed his mind. He went downstairs. Then the next day he's like, oh, maybe I'll just go back up. She's not going to be there. She's not going to be there. You can't see it twice in one week, right? And he goes back up and starts to entertain the thought. Then he sends one of his soldiers to go and find out who is that woman? Is she married? Where is her husband? Where is he posted? That's the meditated thought analyze, research, and they come back with all this stuff. And then he starts to justify it. I am the king, for goodness sake. I should be able to have any woman I want. I've got needs too. Everybody else is sleeping around. Everybody else is doing it. God is loving. God is kind. And even if God gets upset, I'm sure God will forgive me for this. We see that process that David went from being a man of God, holy, purity, to a man that's willing to commit adultery and act upon that. So the question then, my friends, is if this is the process and we know that lust is going to destroy our lives unless we learn the tools to overcome it, the question is, how do we overcome lust? Are we ready? We're going to go straight into that. Seven quick thoughts. Number one, realise that you can be free. Don't believe the lie that you will remain a slave forever. As I said, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, this is what God said to Cain. He said, if you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to have you. But here's the bit I want you to look at. But you must rule over it. 
If God's telling us that we must rule over it, He's given us the power. He's given us the ability. He's given us the chance to be able to overcome it and live victoriously in our life. Don't believe the lie that I believed for years. I struggled in this area, especially with pornography for many, many years. And I believe that this was my inheritance and my portion forever. Everyone's doing it. There's no way out. And I had a slave mentality. But God has not called us to be slaves. He's called us to be victorious. He's given us the ability to be victorious. There's a syndrome called the baby elephant syndrome. Have you heard of this before? The baby elephant syndrome in the old days when I was just a young boy. Um, they used to have circuses with elephants. And what they would do is they would get a young elephant and they would tie a chain around its leg and, and, and stake it to the ground. I think we might have a picture of it. A stake it to the ground. And so this young elephant would not be able to pull away uh, from the circus and, and get free. And because the elephant was so small and the chain was so big, the elephant would try for weeks and maybe even months trying to find its freedom. But after a while, it would resolve in its own mind and in its soul that it will never, ever be free. And once that clicks in, it doesn't matter how big and how strong the elephant grew. It wouldn't matter if the circus owners didn't tie a chain. They may have even put a little rope around its foot. That elephant for the rest of its life would not go more than one metre from the stake because in here, in its brain, it told itself it was a prisoner for the rest of his life. But I'm here to tell you whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus Christ came to set us free and He does not mock us. He does not lie to us. He says you and I can be free from this. You and I can overcome this. What we have to do is start by getting a fresh revelation today. Every time the narrative in your mind says you are a slave, I want you to speak out loud. I want you to declare I am free through Christ Jesus whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's what we need to start to realise. We need to get a revelation that Jesus has come to set us free. And this is not my inheritance. This is not my tomorrow. This is not what God has planned for me. This is not what God has planned for my children and my children's children. And if I don't learn to get victory in this area, in this generation, how will my children ever experience the freedom of God? And so therefore, we need to realise that we can be free. Here's the second thing. We make, need to make a decision not to defile ourselves. I think we've forgotten the power of making a decision. The power of making a decision. This is what Daniel did in 1.8. It says this, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He just made a decision. He goes, you know what? I'm sick of this. Everyone's doing it, but I'm deciding 
And you know, God loves to respect our decisions. He doesn't force us to do what we don't want to do. But the moment you decide, as for me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. I make a decision today and God goes, fantastic. I will empower you, but you've got to make that decision. At the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision to serve God with all your heart, to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As you make that decision, some of you are going to feel the presence of God come and fill your life. And He's going to empower you to live up to the decision that you have just made. But you have to make the decision. No one can make the decision for you. If you've been dragged to church because your spouse brought you to church, if you were dragged to church because your mum and dad brought you to church, hey, listen, it's great that they have made a decision. But here's the question. Have you chosen Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Have you chosen to live your life as a servant of the Most High? When you make a decision not to defile yourself, the Holy Spirit comes and backs up that decision with supernatural power to give you what you need to live the life that God has called you to. Number three, don't go where the snake hangs out. Don't go where the snake hangs out. Common sense, right? And yet, as I said, we want to go as close to the edge as possible without tipping over. But for some of us, We've just got to make a decision. I'm not going to watch those movies. Other Christians might. I'm not. I'm not going to go to that place. Other Christians might, but I'm not. I'm not going to do those things. Other people in my family might, but I cannot. Why? Because I know the areas of my weakness. I know when I go there, I start to entertain and I start to meditate on things that are not good for me. Don't go where the snake hangs out. Number four, renew your mind with God's Word. You know when you hear only one side of an argument, they always sound right. Have you ever done counselling with a husband or a wife that's upset in their marriage and they tell you, my husband did this and he did that and he did that and then you end up leaving that counselling session going, that husband is an absolute jerk. And then you meet up with the husband and then he tells you a different side to the same story and you go, oh, okay, there's actually two that need to work on stuff. If you do not read God's Word and you immerse your life, your brain, your thoughts, your speech in the things of this world, your whole mindset will shift to a secular perspective. But if you keep making sure that you come back to the Word of God, to the presence of God, what does the Word of God say? What is the presence of God doing? Then you will hear another perspective. Otherwise, you'll find that your thinking will be drawn to one side of the argument and it's often the one that's leading to lust. Here's number five. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Our spirits are willing, Jesus said, but our flesh is weak. This is something that I think is the most underrated way of dealing with a, a temptation that we've neglected as the church. Jesus asked every one of us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in 
in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And, and, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is power for deliverance in your everyday life. You and I have access to deliverance in our everyday, daily. We are supposed to pray and ask. And now every single morning I get up and I say, Lord, I need deliverance. I know my temptations. I know my lust. I know my desires that are not of you. I need help. I need you to come. I need you to move. I need you to deliver me. I need you to help me in my weakest parts. In Jesus' name, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then finally, um, we have to remain grateful. I'm going to jump on because of time, but I want to talk about remaining grateful. Be thankful for what you have. Why? Because lust is always about what you haven't got. Isn't that true? Here's what the Scripture says, right? Eve saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. If you go back one chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord created a garden. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were, what? Pleasing to the eye and good for food. Come on, just think about that. The snake goes, forget about this whole massive garden that the Lord has planted for you to be fulfilled, to be fed. Good food, good fruit, pleasing. Forget all of that and just focus on the one tree on the one fruit that He said you can't touch. That's ungratefulness. That's ungratefulness. Forget about everything God has done, everything God has provided, everything God has blessed you with and focus on the one thing that you're currently not getting right now. That's what lust does. I had a a husband that said to me one day when he was going through a bit of a marital problem and, and he was saying to me, you know, we're struggling with our marriage relationship and we're going to counsellors. We're not having much intimacy. And I went, wow. He goes, but you know what, Pastor Joel? God's spoken to me about how good my wife is. She's a beautiful woman. I don't deserve somebody like her. And he also told me, that everything I need sexually will be provided from her and her only. I will not look to the left. I will not look to the right. I will just focus on the provision of God for my life. My God is able to provide for my needs according to His riches. He's, he's able to supply everything I need. And the enemy will say, hey, don't look over there. Don't look over there. Forget everything else God's done. Just look at how mean God is to hold this one thing back. You say, no, my God supplies all my needs according to His riches. Christ's glory. Begin to praise Him. Begin to thank Him for what God has placed in your life. That's one way to break the power of lust. And stop that passage 
that leads you from this place of holiness to this place of extreme destruction. So, so important. Would you stand in this place? Everybody at home, why don't you just get ready? I just sense the presence of God here. God wants to do something really, really powerful today. He wants to break the power of lust over people's lives. And it starts with the revelation. This is what He shared with me. He's going to give you a revelation that you are not a victim, that you are a victor. He's going to speak to you right now. Come on, just where you are, begin to lift your hands, begin to call on the name of the Lord right now. Let Him come with the spirit of revelation and just begin to unveil the truth where there has been lies that you believe that this is your portion. You are a slave. You are going to be like this for the rest of your life. I say, no, my God is able to supply all my needs. My God has brought me the victory. It is for freedom. I choose today. I choose today to live a holy life, to live sanctified to God. I know what I have done in the past and I know that the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. But right here, right now, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord wholeheartedly. I surrender to God. I choose today to live sanctified, to live consecrated. I make a decision in my heart that Jesus Christ is going to be the Lord of my entire life. Me, my household, my family and generations to come. There are some people in this place, they start here and because that path has worn so quickly and been worn so many times, you don't know. Every time the desire comes, you give in. Every time the desire comes, you give in. But even as you repent right now, This is what I saw God doing. He was rebuilding boundaries. He was rebuilding protective walls. He was slowing down the pace to keep you in the place that He has called you to. Just right now, would you lift your hands and just begin to repent? And would you just begin to ask the Lord to forgive you and just begin to ask the Lord to cleanse you and just begin to ask the Lord to purify you. Just begin to ask the Lord as you choose today. I'm choosing today to live holy unto God. Father, let Your holy fire begin to move in this place. Begin to touch the people online. Begin to, Lord, set the captives free. I thank You that every spirit that has kept people bound today, in the Name of Jesus, every chain breaks. I thank You, Lord God, where the anointing is. Lord, there is freedom and every chain breaks. And I take authority over all bondage and I take authority over every oppression right now. Right now in Jesus' Name and I declare freedom. I declare freedom. I declare freedom. In a moment, we're going to go back to some worship. But here's what I want to do. I want to give people an opportunity to choose Jesus first and foremost. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you need to know that He loves you. That God sent His only Son to die on a cross for you. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
The question is, have you accepted that invitation of grace to make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Saviour? As every Christian in this place is praying, you will sense the presence of God right now drawing you. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't shame you. He invites you. He embraces you. He's reaching out to you right now. But you and I, we need to respond to that invitation with humility. And we need to ask, answer that call by saying yes to Jesus. If you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, would you lift your hands up nice and straight? So yeah, hands going up all over, straight up, all over this place. All over. If this is you and you wanna make Jesus Christ your Lord and your Saviour, you lift your hands right up and say, yes, I want Jesus to be my Saviour today. Hands over there, 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 there. Right at the back there as well. Anyone on this side here, come on today, make a decision, make a decision. You raise your hand and say, hey, pastor, pray for me. I'm gonna pray for you just where you are and God's gonna come and fill you where you are today. Maybe there's people here that have wandered away from God and today you wanna make a fresh decision for Him. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say today I'm making a fresh commitment to God. Beautiful, beautiful. So many hands being raised all over this place, choosing Jesus to be Lord and Saviour. I'm gonna pray for you right now. And just where you are, keep your hands up. I want you to receive from God. Come on, church family, would you pray together with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your great love. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who died on a cross for my sin. Today I pray, come into my life. Forgive me of my past. Lead me into my future. Be my Lord and Saviour. I declare that from this point on, I'm a child of God. In Jesus' Name.